Well, hey, everybody. My name's Nate, and I'm new on the team here at North Coast. I've been saying that for three months. I don't know if it still counts. Does that still count as new or not? I don't know. But if you're new, we can, you know, we can be new together, so that's good. Uh, but it's been a joy getting to know many of you and uh, the staff here at North Coast. What an incredible place to be a part of. And uh, I've been getting my family plugged in as well. And so we came out to uh, the Harvest Festival a couple weeks ago. And I've got three daughters. And so we dressed up like the crew from Frozen, or at least we attempted to. That's our like low budget attempt at, you know, the Frozen outfit. Uh, And my infant in the middle there, uh, Zoe, she was supposed to be the snowman, but we ran out of money. So she's an elephant. So she's just an elephant there. Uh, so, sorry, Zoe, uh, but that's what you get. You know, second, third, fourthborn, it's, you're an afterthought. Firstborns, you would never know. Is anybody else like your second, third, fourthborn? Yeah. Where you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. You know, that's just, that's just life. So, uh, well, if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series in the book of James called Wisdom from Above. And we are looking at those two different types of wisdom in our world. There's the wisdom of the world. Uh, what man says is the right way to live, and then what God says, the God way, the kingdom of God way of life. And there's a tension there for all of us as Christ followers. Uh, there's this tension, and we oftentimes don't even know uh, if we're following the ways of the world. And so James has been calling out uh, one of the primary issues in the early believers is this issue of pride and arrogance and boasting. And we've seen it every single week. (laughs) James has been talking about it, and so we've been talking about it uh, as a church. And so this week is no different. Uh, The topic comes up again. Uh, Specifically, he's addressing the early believers and their planning of the future, their desire to control their future, which I know many of us can't relate to at all. Um, I don't know about you, but um, that's something I I do on a regular basis. I want to know what the future holds. And uh, before doing the church thing and being a pastor, I was a high school teacher. I taught high school biology to freshmen. I'll just let that sink in for a minute there. You can imagine what that was like and the amount of learning that didn't take place in that classroom. Um, Thank you to all the teachers that are out there and the patience you have for our students because it is a big job. Uh, Thank you, teachers. But uh, yeah, so I was doing that for a number of years. And besides working with students, the thing I loved is I, I knew my plan for the future as a teacher. Like there's a sheet of paper and you know exactly what you're going to get paid every single year. Uh, You know what year you're going to retire. You know what your retirement funding is going to be like. You can get your lesson planned. I had them all lined up and in place. Like I knew what I was going to be teaching. Like my future, like I had it planned out. It was pretty clear and I was comfortable in that. I had something to hold on to. Uh, And then I quit (laughs) and I landed in a church and then all my planning just went out the window and I felt that sense of insecurity like, oh my gosh, I'm really not in control of much. And um, I'm sure many of us can relate to that. Uh, We've just gone through one of the craziest seasons ever in our lives uh, called a pandemic. And any planning we had just went out the window, right? Um, You probably knew the year you were going to retire, what position you were hoping to have in your workplace. Uh, Maybe you've moved locations. Maybe your kids had a college lined up and uh, college went out the window. I mean, all of our best planning just, you know, disappeared, just went out the window. And so it leaves us feeling insecure, like, oh my gosh, I have nothing, I have nothing to hold on to. And so as James is writing, he's writing to these early Christians, and they're kind of in that same boat. They are good planners. They're good business people. We see that in this opening uh, verse, in verse 13, it says this, 
Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. So this is a, it's in quotation. So this is something he's hearing people say. Like this is going around. This is how people plan. Uh, there's four future statements. We'll go to a city. So there's a place that they have in mind. Um, spend a year there, an allotted amount of time. We'll carry on business. There's an action that's going to happen there. And they're going to make some money. So they have an intended result or outcome. Uh, so these, they're good planners. <laughs> they have something in mind. And I think it's important to see that James isn't calling that out. Right? The problem he has isn't with their planning. He's not uh, ridiculing them or, or condemning them for their planning. Uh, as Christ followers, he's wired us for work. We're designed to work hard, to be ambitious, to be great at what we do, to plan for the future. Um, you guys remember the story from Matthew where there's the, uh, the rich um, not ruler, but uh, the, the master, and he goes away, and he leaves his servants with an allotted amount of money, a talent. And, and he goes away, and he comes back, and, and the, some of them don't do anything with that. They just sit on it, and the other ones invest it. They do something with it. They, they plan for the future and multiply that resource that's been given to them. And the master comes back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will put you over much. So he's not reprimanding them for the planning, which is good. We can all take a breath there and be like, okay, good, because I like controlling my future, right? But let's keep reading. What does he say next? Verse 14, why, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes? Well, thanks, James. That makes me feel really good. It's just a bit of... A, you know, a mist, a vapor, like my life doesn't matter. You're saying work hard and plan, but yet it's gone tomorrow. Like, like, what are you doing? I think he's trying to just shake them and he's doing that, like rattle them, like put things in perspective. Like, you know, plan, but hold your plans loosely. Plan, but you're not king. You're not actually in charge of the outcome. Then we move on to verse 16 and here's where uh, it starts getting intense. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is what? It's evil. Wow, James, okay. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So here's his, here's his problem. Here's what he's hammering the early Christians for. He's saying, plan for the future, that's great. Hold your plans loosely, but remember, you are not in control. This pride thing that you've going on, this boasting thing, this, this thing that you think you're king, like, doesn't work doesn't work. So he's calling that out. Um, he's calling that out in us. And I think um, this, this pride, it's, it's so subtle. Like it's, it's the first sin that ever happened, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they were there and there's this desire in them to be like God, to be all knowing, to be in control. Pride, it's like that, that foundational sin that leads to all the other ones. I've got this. I've got it under my control. And this is what James has a problem with. And the difficult thing about pride is like, I don't think many of us in this room, we don't come in and we're not like, yeah, I want to be arrogant. I want to I be prideful. Like it's not something we set out to do. It creeps in over time. It's subtle. It distorts all the good things, all the good traits in us over time. And we can't even see it happening. But that's, that's what pride does. I love this quote. It says this, pride turns ambition, selfish, twists competition into conquest and interprets net worth as self-worth. 
So this pride, this king complex we have in all of us, it's like we're looking in a mirror. Kings look in mirrors. All they always see is ourselves. You can't see when, when you're looking in a mirror, you, you can't see anyone else. You just see your own world and how everyone else in your world revolves around you. That's the king complex. That's pride. And again, it's subtle. We don't see it happening. Now, the way this might, might look in our lives, maybe if you're in your workplace, all right, you go, into, you go into your meeting on Monday and you're in charge of a team and you've got some fourth quarter results or numbers that you got to hit. And so you're looking at your team and you say, all right, here's the plan. I've got it. You guys go out. Here's your, here's your task. Go execute. Uh, you're good to go. You send them out. Sounds like a pretty standard, efficient meeting. Uh, but what often happens in that is you lose humanity. You lose the people's humanity and your, your coworkers, the people who report to you are just a tool in your tool belt. They're just there to carry out your will as king in the workplace. Uh, In your marriage, maybe it's this desire to be right. I'm right. I know the best way to raise my kids. Uh, I know the best way to manage our finances. And I absolutely know the best way to pack a dishwasher. Because there's a a right way to pack a dishwasher. Do you guys know that? Like you have that, right? Does anybody else have this? Or is this just... Dave, you have this issue too. Okay. Like, you can't leave space between the, the top, you know, like you have to pack it efficiently, and then when it's full, then you wash the dishes. So, you know, king over the dishwasher, we've, we've all got these things in our marriage that we just can't let go of. Um, or here's a kicker, and I hope you guys don't have this one, but I have this one. I, I actually think I'm more humble than people. <laughs> right? Like, does it <laughs> Like, talk about pride, you know, like, yeah, like, I think I'm like, look at somebody like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a better person because I'm more humble than them. Like, that's, that's terrible. Like, that's a thing. Um, or I think one, as, as Christ followers, one of the things we get caught up in, and again, we don't know we're doing it. It's not like we set out to do these things, is we sit on this moral high ground, right? I'm, I've been saved. I follow Jesus. I, I don't do the things of the world. Therefore, I'm better than other people. And we sit on this moral high ground and people feel judged by us. They feel separated from us. I don't want to associate with those good, good Christians. Uh, but the reminder to us, the reality is we are all sinners uh, fallen short of the glory of God. There's God and there's everyone else, humanity. There's not like an in-between step for Christians, like we're more moral, right? But when we don't set out to do this as Christians, but this is one of the things that happens as, cry, as pride creeps in. And we're wearing that crown when we want to be king of our world. So the problem, the pain point of being king, when we are king, the problem is everyone else is our subject, right? Everyone else is there to carry out our will. When we're king, we're just staring in that mirror and our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, even God himself is reporting to us right? And that's what this king complex does. And that leads to broken relationships. (laughs) Relationships start to fall apart when we are sitting on our throne and everyone else is our subject. And so James is calling this out. This is what he's identifying in the early Christians. And then he says, but there's a better way to live. There's a better way. The wisdom from above says this in verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will... If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Simple statement, but that's a profound mental shift, right? If it's the Lord, Lord's will, that's a, that's a words of surrender. That's saying, I am not in control. 
Uh, that's getting off the throne, taking off the crown. It's stop. You're not looking in the mirror anymore and saying, God, you are king. I am not. God, your will be done. Culture says something very different. Culture tells us we are kings. Uh, we've got to compete. We've got to be the best. But Jesus has a different way, a different definition of a king. And uh, Jesus says, Jesus says, if you want to be king, then be a servant. If you want to be king, then be a servant. There's an awesome story or comical story of this in uh, Matthew 20. Um, and I love when the Bible like, is humorous and you begin to see like, oh my gosh, how is this possible? You can't make this stuff up. But there's a scene where the disciples are competing. They want to know who's going to be like um, the prince or in, in the most power when God reigns. They believe Jesus is going to be an earthly king and they want to have the highest you know, position, have the most authority. So they're always debating this. And there's this scene where uh, they're called the sons of Zebedee, James and John, go and get their mom. They're adults, right? And they go and get their mom to advocate for them in front of Jesus. Like go back later and read this story. It's crazy. And so the mom goes before the feet of Jesus with her boys sitting in the background like, all right, mom, you know, ask him. Okay, go, go. And this is what she says. She says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Moms, would you, moms, dad, like, are you kidding me? Like, who does this? Try to fight for your kids to get into a college. You'll do whatever it takes, right? They're just going for it. And Jesus is like so sarcastic in this moment. Or at least that's what I read. He's like, you can feel the sarcasm on the page when you read it. <laughs> and he's like, looking at all, I'm just probably like, a, like in disbelief. Like, are you kidding me? And, and then he says this statement. He says, yeah, you guys, you know, you want to be king? You want to be rulers and have power in my kingdom? Great. That's awesome. Here's what it looks like. And then he says this. He says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give him his life as a ransom for many. And they're probably looking at him like, what? Like, that's, no, that's, that's not how this king thing works. And he's going, yeah, you're a servant or a slave. And we can read past that and say, oh yeah, servant or slave. But if what is a servant or a slave's life about? Uh, it's not about themselves. They have, there's no time for them to look in the mirror at themselves, right? Their entire life is for the betterment of someone else. Servant and slaves, all of their resources, their energy, their skills, everything is to serve that master, is to serve someone else. And so servants, they're not looking in mirrors, they're looking out windows at people. And they're saying, how can I use what God has given me for the benefit of someone else? Uh, I love the way this great theologian makes this point. Um, this great theologian, Ted Lasso. Has anybody heard of or read his stuff? <laughs> Has anybody seen that show? I don't know if I can recommend it. So I'm not recommending it, but go watch it. It's a phenomenal show. Not recommending it. But, um, but in it, they quote a great theologian. One of the characters quotes C.S. Lewis. And we've heard this phrase before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. So it's not putting yourself down or having no self-esteem. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's less time looking in the mirror. <laughs> it's less time looking in the mirror, and it's more time looking out the window. So what does this look like in our workplace? And when you go into that meeting, instead of saying, here's my will, go execute, it's saying, no, like, hey, what do you guys think? What are your ideas? 
And as people hear themselves talk, they feel empowered, they feel bought in, they feel part of the team, they feel seen, they feel heard. It might take more time. That's a more clunky way to lead, but that's a servant way of leading. Maybe if you, instead at the end you guys did well as a team and instead of taking the credit, you hand it out, even if they didn't deserve it. You look out the window and you give away credit, even when it's undue. Uh, in the marriage or the relationship, uh, you surrender that desire to always be right, except when it comes to the dishwasher. That's like a non-negotiable. There is a, there is a correct way to pack a dishwasher, so I'm not going to let go of that one. But everything else, surrender that desire to be in control. Uh, parenting, uh, it's, instead of yelling at my kid for not cleaning up the toys for the 10th time, uh, it's getting down on their level, holding their hands, looking them in the eyes, and screaming louder, right? You've got, you've got to get your point across. Kids just don't listen. These three-year-olds, man, they don't. No, it's looking them in the eyes, right? And explaining to them why it's important to clean up the house, why it's important to listen to mom and dad. It takes more time. They don't get it for a while, but that's what a servant parent does. Uh, there's been a personal example from my own life, and this isn't for everyone, so I'm not saying, like, do this, but for myself, God put on my heart a few years ago, and he, uh, it's, we have this thing called a vote. It's a little bit of power that we've been given on this earth, and we can use it however we want, right? And um, oftentimes what I do is I look in the mirror and I say, how will this vote for a person, a um, proposition, whatever, how will this benefit me? How is this going to make my life better for myself, my kids, safer? Like, like that's how I use that piece of power that I've been given. And uh, God said, well, what if you looked out the window and you thought of other people and you said, how would this benefit someone who's in a more marginalized situation than you? Maybe they didn't go up, grow up with as much privilege as you. Like, maybe you should use that piece of power for them. And I said, okay, God, you know, like, sounds good. I'll try that out. So I got a... Um, I don't know if it's a ballot, but a, a thing in the mail from my city, and they were redoing sidewalks and streets and stuff like that, and they couldn't do it all. There's an allotted amount of money, and they wanted to see from the citizens, like, like organize us. What's most important to you? And so there's things on there for like, you know, safer neighborhoods for kids walking to their schools. There's stuff on there for connecting sidewalks to public transportation for people who are low income, who maybe don't have a vehicle. And then there's also things on there for making the bike lanes safer, which I am a um, recreational cyclist, and so those look pretty good for me, you know, the bike lane situation. So I have this ballot, and I voted, and I'm here to tell you that I failed, and I voted for bigger bike lanes. All the way down the list, I put myself as king. I looked in the mirror, and I said, how is this going to benefit me? Um, but God's working on me. He's saying, you've given power, you've given authority Use that for the betterment of someone else. I love this quote by an author, um, Henry Nouwen. I don't know if you've ever read his stuff, but if you haven't, get online, get any of his books. They're phenomenal. Um, this is a, it's a long quote, but I think it kind of paints the picture of what we're talking about. Let me read it. It says this. It seems nearly impossible for us to believe that any good can come from powerlessness. In this country of pioneers and self-made people in which ambition is praised from the first moment we enter school until we enter the competitive world of free enterprise, we cannot imagine that any good can come from giving up power or not even desiring it. The all-pervasive conviction in our society is that power is good 
and that those possessing it can only desire more of it. This is conditioned into us, right? This is just part of our culture. This is the wisdom of the world that I'm king, look in the mirror, it's all about you. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, if you want to be king, be a servant. Look out the window and see others. Um, And I don't know about you, but if I was sitting where you are right now, I'm a bit of a skeptic, and I would be thinking, I don't know who this random guy is right now talking to me, and I don't know who James is, this author 2,000 years ago, but I don't, I don't know if I believe this stuff, this servant lifestyle. And, you know, maybe I'll lean in, maybe I'll try it with my kids or in my marriage, but this just doesn't work in the workplace. There's no way. It's competitive. I have to get ahead. I have deadlines to meet. I've got people to hire and fire. Like, this thing just won't work in my workplace. Like, it's not a thing. I hear you, and I will offer you this. Uh, here's a real-world example. And I love where... Jesus' truth, ancient truth, lines up with reality today. Research and science where it comes together and you're like, oh, what he said a while ago actually is is true. Um, Have any of you guys read the book From Good to Great by Jim Collins? Many business people, maybe you have. Um, Incredible book. And what happens is this guy, Jim Collins, takes a research team and he says, okay, there's all these good companies in the world. What makes a company great? What sets it apart from the rest? So he studied like the 500 best companies in the world, and he found 11. They found 11 of the best, uh, not necessarily the most profitable, but the best companies in the world. And then they dug deeper and they said, okay, what makes them great? What set them apart from the rest? And as you can imagine, one of the qualities was great leadership. They had some of the best CEOs, and then he said, okay, well, what makes a great CEO? What makes them the best leaders? So they dug in and they found out that the primary two traits of the best leaders of the best companies were this. They were driven, hardworking, and they were humble. They were driven and they were humble. When he interviewed them, these were some of the things that that they would say. I don't think I can take much credit for what happened. Dude, you're like the best of the best. Like, what are you saying? You know, this is like the Tom Brady saying, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that good. We're blessed with marvelous people. There are a lot of people in my company who could do my job better than I do. These level five leaders, they weren't your typical CEO that's looking at the mirror, looking in the mirror and saying, I'm king, everyone else carry out my will. These guys were looking out the window at their employees, empowering them, seeing them, encouraging them, and that's where the results came from. What a cool image, right? Where Jesus' truth actually line up with real world. And it was uh, at the end of this, I had to tell you this. So at the end, he, you know, he's doing all this research, and then he goes back to these guys, and he says, actually, we found that one of the reasons why your company is successful is you. Like, you're a phenomenal leader. And, and they would look at him, and they would shake their heads and be like, I think we're just lucky. Like, I don't know. Like, they would literally just deny the fact that what the research just said. And that was the heart of that servant leader. I think the best picture, though, we have of, of what this lifestyle looks like obviously comes from Jesus himself. And um, last week, Ryan read a, a passage from Philippians that I think is the crux of what James is trying to communicate. It's what we need to grab onto today. And so I want to read it for us again. And it's this, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So he took this downward path, this downward mobility. That's what Jesus did. The world says climb up the ladder. Jesus says climb down the ladder. The world says the power's at the top. And Jesus says, nope, the power is at the bottom. And he modeled that for us. Here he is in this picture. Like I, I can't fully understand it. We can't wrap our heads around it. But here's this picture of God becoming human, giving up his divine privilege, and then going to the grave. Talk about the most humble position, right? You have no breath, you have no voice, you have no strength, you have no life, you're dead. Complete no, no strength. And it was in that moment where we see the ultimate display of God's power of resurrection. So what a weird mystery that when, when we are diminished, when there's less of us, that's when God's strength, that's when his power is displayed the most. Again, can't fully wrap our heads around it, but that's the servant lifestyle that Jesus is trying to get us to live. When we are diminished, God's power is on display. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so this king complex, it's rolling around in all of us. We said it's subtle. We don't fully know we're doing this. Uh, but we're sitting looking in mirrors in some areas of our lives. We all have it. We all suffer from it. And Jesus is calling us to a different kind of lifestyle, to look out the window, to see others, and to give away all that God has given us. But it's tricky. How do you, how do you identify this? Um, as a king, if you're looking in the mirror, you can't see these areas of your life. And I think the best way we have to identify this is to ask someone we love. You have to go to someone you love and you trust and you have to say, hey, where in my life am I trying to be king? Where am I powering up? Where am I trying to dominate? Where, where do you see an area of pride in my life? And so it's going to your spouse and asking that question. It's going to your, imagine going into work on Monday and sitting down with people who report to you and say, listen, I know I'm your boss and you can't get fired for this. But tell me, where am I trying to be king? Where am I smashing everybody? And everybody knows it. They're all talking. <laughs> they all can see these areas of pride in your life. They, they see it. They deal with it every day. You're the one that doesn't see it. And so when you ask that, uh, beautiful things will happen in those re work relationships. Um, I couldn't get up here and just talk about it without practicing it. So I asked my wife this week, I said, uh, what areas of my life am I being king? And she said, none. So I was like, sweet, I'm off the... That's a joke. That's a terrible joke, but that's a joke. No, the conversation was like a two-hour conversation. Um, I think I had a list. I think there was like 19 items on my list. So we're working through that. We're working through the list. And the one at the top, the one at the top was she feels judged by me. She feels that I'm better than her. And I'm like, I don't do that. Do I do that? I don't think I do that. I don't try to do that. I don't want to do that, right? I don't mean to do it, but it, you can't see it. Those, the pride, you're looking at me, you, we can't really see it. And so she called that out in me. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I need to work on that. Thank you. 
Uh, it's hard. You have these conversations, though, you have to enter with at least a little bit of humility with your guard down, your heart open, willing to receive what is said. Well, as the band comes out, I've got a cool story of a gentleman in our church who's lived out this servant lifestyle. Uh, his name is Mike Gray. His family uh, has attended this church for a number of years. There's a picture of him and his daughters. And uh, Mike was a, um, an engineer over at HP for, for a long time. And he was on their inkjet team. He was an awesome engineer. He found that he was really good at solving problems, and he solved them quickly. And so people would come up to him and be like, hey, Mike, you know, I'm working on this thing. Can you help me out? And uh, Mike, Mike would help him. And he realized, okay, this is cool, but can I do more? What else can I do? And so he prayed about it, and God told him, start, uh, and, and his new commitment was, every time I have an interaction with one of these people, um, I want them to leave with a little bit more joy when they first had an interaction with me. So he'd pray that every day. He went into work. That was his mindset. And so Mike would be working on something. Someone would come up with a question, and he closed his laptop looked him in the eyes and said, how can I help? How can I help you solve your problem? Might have been a 30-second quick fix, might have taken 10 minutes, uh, but Mike began to do this day in and day out, week after week. And um, they've got this award at um, HP called the Blue Award, which is probably the, it's not a very fancy name, way to go HP, you're not very creative, but um, they had this uh, Blue Award, they called it, and this award went to a person or a team that was living out the values of the organization, that was making the organization a better place. And so uh, Mike goes to work one day, uh, months and months of you know, doing this thing, of helping people leave with a little bit more joy. He opens his laptop, and he's got an email. And in that email, it says, Mr. Mike Gray, you've won the Blue Award. And Mike got the Blue Award for, and I've only dropped this twice. I told Mike, I apologize. It's, I did actually drop it. He let me use it. This is his Blue Award. This is from HP, and this was for making uh, his company a better place. For being a servant leader, for looking out the window and empowering others. And the, cool, the coolest part of that is he said after his supervisors came to him, and they said, Mike, you didn't know this, but we had more nominations for you than we've ever had. For anyone. Like he had dozens of his coworkers and people reported to him saying, Yeah, Mike's changed my life. Just that, and it wasn't much. It wasn't like this Herculean effort, right? He just met people, saw people, empowered people, and the culture began to change. You want to be king? Be a servant. Let's pray together this morning. God, we just thank you that you. Uh, king of the world, came down to this planet, died for us so that we could have life with you forever. God, you restored a broken relationship between us and our creator. And that's a gift we can't give to ourselves. And we're grateful for that, God. God, we, we just admit, we, don't, we, we have this pride thing going on. We, we want to be king. We're sitting in your chair. And you can't be king until we get out of your chair until we take off that crown. And so God, help us do that this week. Help us go into conversations and help us see, point out in us those areas where we're trying to power up and be king. We don't want that. God, take that away from us and fill us with the spirit to serve and to love others, to look out the window 
and just give away everything that you've given to us, God. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, this whole thing starts with us surrendering ourselves before God, saying he is king and we are not. And so I just want to give you an opportunity. If you have never made that decision, if you've never fully submitted yourself to Jesus, I want to give you that chance today. Or maybe you need to do it. Maybe you need to recommit your life, resurrender your life. You've been trying to be king and you're like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Uh, If that's you, you can raise your hand. You can put your hands out. Just that symbol of submission. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything weird like that. I'm just going to pray over you. All right? Let's pray together. God, we just come before you and we just all admit collectively uh, that we are not king. God, you are creator. Uh, You are in control. And that's much better than us being in control. So God, if we've never made that decision or never fully released uh, control over to you, uh, we just do that now. God, we, we, we submit our lives to you. You are king. Lord Jesus, fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Come into our lives. Make us new. Transform us. And help us to live this servant lifestyle, we pray. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Yeah. Well, if you prayed that, come, uh, come talk to us. We'll be out in the courtyard. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Go in peace.